how does you know vsan and this you know the sabu direction of adding to the value of vmware as a company fit into the overall scheme of vmware be- kind of becoming more and more of a cloud company is is there stuff you can talk about surrounding that jace let's let's get you in this no pressure um <laughs> <laughs> It needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics, but you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. May, may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node vSAN. Oh, guys. People you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast episode 26 for Sunday, January 27th, live to the interwebs, finally from the GigaCast headquarters. I'm Britton Johnson. And broadcasting live from my home lab, I'm Tony Reeve. Hey, we actually did it this time. We're live to YouTube. So, Yay. you know, if you're the hanging, out, <laughs> hanging out on the YouTube channel, we are there. And we have a podcasting pro in the house, so we're going to have sound effects on this episode. (laughs) Welcome to the show. This is, uh, this will be a fun one. Um, Joining us, we'll just jump right into guest stuff. Why not? Um, We have the illustrious Jace McCarty back for number two visit to the show. Jace, how are you? Doing great. Doing great. Good to see you guys. So... We last saw you in VMworld, and you were, like, in the best shape of your life. How is that continuing for you? Uh, I'm still keeping the weight off. I'm uh, just a couple pounds up, but, you know, it's wintertime, so, hey, that's kind of expected. <laughs> right. You know, as far as that goes. So uh, I imagine probably when I get closer to the uh, to the summertime, I'll drop a little bit, you know, more back to where I was, but feeling great. Good. Cool. cool. And our ultimate special, you know, mega guest is Mr. Pete Fletcher. Thank you for joining us, sir. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining me. No, let me try that again. Hey, guys. Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody be on the other side of that microphone. Yeah, exactly. Now you're on the other side. We're going to ask you the questions tonight, buddy. Nice. I like it. It's going to be a fun, fun, fun time. Tony, how are you? I am doing good. How are you doing? Did you survive the sub-zero weather? Um, no, I was going to say, um, anybody out there who's thinking about coming to Wisconsin tomorrow, don't because the entire state <laughs> is closed. Wow. Yeah. School shut down. What are they, what are they predicting down there? We're saying up here around 10 inches. Yeah. It's somewhere between, you know, 10 and a hundred inches. I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's basically everything's just stopped. We, all of our schools got shut down right now tonight. So yep. Yeah, we already got notification that uh, our son's school is closed as well. Yeah. So, it's. I think we had six inches last week, and and it's like uh, I've had enough of this. Yeah, we got like six or eight on Wednesday last week. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, we got a good chunk. We just kind of, and then and then it dipped down to like twenty below, um, and then you know it's going to come back up for the snowstorm, and then right after that it's going to come back down to like negative forty. So no, 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 it's bad. Yeah, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. Yeah, I think I'll pass. The the only downside of working from home is you don't get a snow day. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hey, can I ask you a show note real quick? Uh, you started the show off and we were all just sitting around and we were, was the music playing for you? Cause I didn't hear it. I didn't know if. Yeah, what I didn't hear it either. It, Is that it should different because we're live streaming or because normally we do hear it. I, I, I may have turned it down, but there was okay. music when I heard it. So yeah, you look like you were grooving to it. You look like you were oh, in yeah. the zone, but we, we didn't hear it. So, <laughs> all right. I may have turned it down too much on your end for that feedback, but oh, well, oh, good. Either that or the stream is just screwing up with what's going back through Zoom. One of the two. That could be too. Yeah. That's the first time doing that. Oh, you know what? I didn't even check my Zoom settings to see what it's capturing. Because maybe it's maybe it's capturing my... Yes, it is. It's capturing the built-in microphone. Nice. So, so you're going to have to add that later on. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we'll do you it in what? post. Yeah. I don't need to we because... We don't have that You can make yeah, one. I'm not going to exit full. We get back to this. All right. Okay. So, um, Tony, do you have any news or updates before we jump into our conversations today? Um, I don't believe so. Okay. All right. I really don't either. It's been kind of a, I mean, we, we just, I feel like we just did this because we did. This is our bonus episode for January. Yeah. We're normally um, not live twice we, in one. We usually don't do two in a month and it just kind of worked out. And so I guess I'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, my wife, because, you know, this is the reason we're having a bonus episode is because she's, you know, taking care of the kids for tonight and, you know, they're having movie night upstairs. So my wife, the best wife in the world, I love you. Thank you. You're a good guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Same goes me. for my wife she's as just well. Like, I when are you going to do something daughter. for me on this show? <laughs> As he sips from a cohesity drink wearing a Veeam t-shirt. <laughs> Busted. Yeah. Uh, I need to grab some audio clips from the first Wayne's World where he's doing those sponsorship stuff. <laughs> Little yellow. Ew. All this conversation is giving me a headache. Is that why I have a headache tonight? <laughs> you need some Nuprin. Uh, okay. So, okay, Jace, we got a whole bunch of background story from you the last time you were on, which was really cool. So I, I would like you to just sit back for a minute, and I want to get, Pete, your story from A to VMware, and just tell us, you know, who the heck you are, what you really do for VMware, because I don't even know, and you know, what in the world got you started in podcasting. So just kind of give us the Pete Fletcher story, if you if you would so enlighten us. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So uh, let's see, 10 years in the Air Force overseas for a while. I was in IT. Uh, I was in networking. I did a lot of Microsoft stuff. Got out of the Air Force, uh, started doing consulting. I worked for Microsoft and Accenture, did doing large scale migrations of uh, Active Directory. So like serious consulting then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did big, we migrated AT&T into their newest, you know, Active Directory, doing all kinds of stuff. Really fun, big enterprise level consulting. Then, uh, you know, we were using on one of the projects when I worked for that company, we were using NetApp for, for some of our storage. Uh, and I start and I had before this, I've, I had been an application guy, so I didn't really care about storage. Storage to me was like, hey, you know, provision me some storage so I can build some, you know, applications. Right. And so, uh, but I started seeing some of the really cool stuff that you could do with storage. Like, wow, like you could rapidly clone volumes like instantaneously. And then you'd have like this huge clone. And 
snapshots and all these things that were just like, they were really cool to me. So I was like, wow, I really like storage. And then somebody said, Hey, you live in Raleigh, like NetApp is like in Raleigh. So, you know, long story short, I, I, I met some folks that, you know, told me this and I ended up working for uh, NetApp for a couple of years, but still didn't really know storage. I knew applications and we start, I started to get really interested in VMware <laughs> and I was like, man, I really like what VMware is doing. Like, I, I really want to go that direction. So when I worked for NetApp, I was actually a VMware administrator. I mean, yeah. a VMware technical marketing guy for NetApp. So I really didn't, still storage was interesting, but I was more focused on VMware. I really liked, you know, what, what VMware had been doing. Uh, and so I did a podcast at VMware. Uh, I did a NetApp. podcast in NetApp, yeah, and yeah. Uh, the Tech on Tap podcast with a couple of my friends. And uh, that started getting, you know, we started getting, you know, some good connections with the VMware folks. Long story short, uh, I was doing a lot of joint papers and things like that with some of the tech marketing team at VMware. I started to create some some inner inner workings in the storage and availability business unit. Uh, and then, yeah, Ken sent me the invite over to come join his team of rock stars that were just doing tech marketing for VMware, which is a pretty impressive team. I've never been on a team like the team I'm on now. I mean, these guys are, it's very humbling to be around guys that are so smart and just really, you know, they do amazing work. And so my contribution to that team, as you were asking, is I, do, I focus on vSAN. That's my primary responsibility. Uh, I do a lot with VVOLs as well. So I do tech marketing, write content, documents, speak at VMware, write blog posts, create videos. And I also do the podcast. Podcast is kind of a side gig. Uh, so John and I do that, although it is, you know, it's valued at VMware, but it's not owned by VMware. So it, but it's still part of what I do. So um, much like yourself, you guys have a passion for the software defined data center, you know, and so do we. We think there's a lot of really smart people in the world. Uh, and so we do our best to just bring different people on. Uh, on the virtually speaking podcast and just do like what you're doing, you know, just ask them what's going on. What do you do? How does that work? Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, so that's kind of who I am and what I do at VMware. Cool. That is a very good synopsis in a very tight space of time. No kidding. So. You can tell that you have lots of practice doing this. <laughs> I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand it? <laughs> Uh, see, that is the trick. Well, that That's when you can take a drink is when you're waiting for the clip to play. Oh, Absolutely. Man. I'm going to learn so much from you tonight, John. See. <laughs> John. I, I, I can, you John. I can just Pete. feel our production value going up. We're just absorbing <laughs> and learning. There you go. Well, yeah, this is going to be fun. So. Um, the other, the other piece that I've never heard the official story where the name Pedro Arrow came from. Ah, okay. Yeah. I never worked for Arrow. So some people ask me that, which is always, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't keep it if it was. Anyway. Uh, let's see. My first name is Pete. Spanish for Pete is Pedro. My last name is Flecha, which is actually Spanish for Arrow. Ah. So if you, the inverse of Pete Flecha is Pedro Arrow. There it is. Well, that wouldn't the inverse be Fletcher Pete? Uh, yeah, you're right, but but Pedro Arrow is a little bit better. <laughs> Arrow Pedro. <laughs> vote for I am Pedro. Fletcher Pete. <laughs> vote, vote for Pedro. Yes, exactly. All right, um, Tony. Do you want to ask anything of Mister Arrow? So, what's your favorite part about you know? Obviously, you're doing things similar to us. What's your favorite part of running your own podcast? 
Well, honestly, I, probably like you guys, for me, the best part about doing a podcast is I am a very curious person in general. I mean, I am inherently, I love learning new things and I never claim to be the expert on everything. Um, I, I just, there's so many smart people in our industry and it's like, they all have great information. And so it's really cool to get different people on. And then I, I intentionally, like I, I, we, we don't do a, we, we, we do bullets, right? I, I have a couple of bullets we want to talk about, but the curiosity is always best to capture on the podcast. So that's what I do. I'm, I'm naturally curious. And if we start talking about something that's really deep, you know, we've had Jason several times, he'll start getting deep on whether it's automation, encryption or stretch cluster. And he knows that way better than I do. So as the conversation starts to unfold, there is so much to ask. And so I love capturing that information and then sharing it. Uh, and probably like you guys, you know, some of the feedback we've always heard, even when I was doing it uh, for a storage company and then now for VMware, a lot of times we hear like, oh, man, I, I listened to that one episode uh, that you did on X product and that really helped me understand it. And or I work in sales and now I can even sell it better or, you know, somebody says, you know, oh, this you guys really I never thought about this one thing like that. And so it's it's great to learn for ourselves. But then, you know, why not share what you've learned with, with other people? So, Absolutely. yeah, and there's. There's been plenty of different products that I haven't necessarily understood very well and listen to your podcast and you get a great guest on that that really knows it well and can articulate it. And yeah, you completely can understand it that way versus, you know, reading some sort of a white paper. Yeah. And what we try to do is our, our, our approach is a 30 minute podcast is all what we, what we focus. Sometimes they go to 45 or whatever, but we try to keep it around 30 because the idea is I don't want to boil the ocean. I don't want to teach you everything you need to know on an audio podcast. The idea, it's almost like a movie trailer. Here, this is interesting. This is cool. Teaser. Yeah, the, check this out. This is cool. Oh, here's the guy that knows a lot about it. Jay seems to be talking really well about this. So we'll leave you some references. And so on the show notes of the page, we'll have links to his blog. We'll have links to, you know, videos that have been done. Also to Storage Hub, where all the main content is for, for what we talk about at VMware, like vSAN. So like anybody who's talking about that stuff, we make sure to reference the deeper information. So, you know, you know where to go after you've listened to the podcast. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I would love to produce more of that type of post show content, but yeah, I'm just too lazy about that right now. <laughs> oh, don't, don't, don't think about it like that. What I usually do is I tell the guest give me links that you think are relevant to this episode. Yeah. And then All if right. something comes up, like if, you know, you know, if something comes up during the episode, then I'll, you know, I'll be sure to add that as well. But usually my show notes consist of a paragraph of, Hey, we talked to this guy and you know, there's this, this product, here's the value proposition of this product. Oh, and here are some links that we mentioned and then boom, that's it. So it's not like an, you know, it's not like a detailed uh, show notes, but right. it's enough where, if somebody well, you, wants to learn more about the podcast that we talked about, they know where to go. Well, the difference is, is you actually have something up as opposed to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the pr primary reason that I do this live to tape is because I just don't want to edit anything. And ah. so I just, you know, and it, and, I, and I think it works, you know, it, it kind of makes it, it like I've tried editing some of the episodes and if it feels chopped up and it feels just it feels sure. like it's been toyed with. And I, I like it. To, I like it to be like a natural conversation, right? And so, you know, that's where you know my laziness actually wins. Oh, I have to tell you. So the first time I ever heard your podcast, I didn't know you. Didn't know who you were. Right. Uh, I, I I knew who Tony was, 
But um, I, I heard your first episode and I immediately liked it. I was like, oh, my goodness, I really like this guy because you have this thing where you're like, I don't, first of all, you've got a you've got a great podcast voice. You know, you, you've also got a face for radio, but exactly, you definitely have right, a voice yeah. for radio. <laughs> and and I was just like, this guy is like you just reminded me of like a professional radio DJ where you were just kind of like you definitely did it, do it different than we do. Right. We're much more like, OK, 30 minutes. We're on this. We're going to edit it. And you guys are just like, yeah, what's up? So, uh, you know, anyway. And I just love that. I love the casual. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, and the content was yeah. good. You get great we're, we're, we're like the Bob and Tom of IT podcasts. There we ah. go. It's, <laughs> it's working. So keep doing it. Only the G family friendly version. Yeah, right. Is Bob and Tom even still a radio show? I don't know. They are. They were. If they were a thing in Wisconsin, I thought they were a national show too, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, here is, let, let, let's talk, let's get into some, into the weeds and some stuff. Um, this was sort of my question that is kind of boiled in the back of my head because of some conversations I've had recently with people at VMware. Um, I've heard a lot of talk about how, you know, VMware's direction as a software company is becoming sort of almost cloud first and, it's stuff like NSX, NSX for multi-cloud, um, you know, VMware, VMC, you know, VMware Cloud and AWS, all of these sort of cloud things that are happening, right? And so I, what, what I really want to hear from you guys, since you're in the, uh, the storage and availability business unit, you know, vSAN is your bag. How does, you know, vSAN and this, you know, the Sabu direction of, you know, adding to the value of VMware as a company fit into the overall scheme of VMware be kind of becoming more and more of a cloud company. You know, is, is there stuff you can talk about surrounding that? Jace, let's, let's get you in this. No pressure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know though. The way I look at it, right, and this is, and, and I'm going to kind of move away from the vSAN part of the conversation, at least initially, right? Yeah. And I'll, I'll circle back there. But the way that I look at it is, and kind of where we provide value from a storage perspective, and, and you don't see a lot of people in the field talking about this. I mean, there are some out there and some non-VMware people too, right? Um, but it might, the, the last place I worked, I used to work for what is now part of, Part of Dell, but um, and we talked about it a little bit, but it, it wasn't really anything we could necessarily at the time capitalize on. But to me, if you think about the about the way that we approach, whether it be cloud-based infrastructure, whether it be you know on-premises-based infrastructure, whatever, wherever it is, right? It, to me, the most value is being able to consume, provision, report on whatever based on policy, right? I mean, we, yeah. we handle people. People based on policy, we handle, um, you know, we have the capability of handling storage on policy, whatever, right? So, so if you look at it from that perspective, and the and the interesting part is, you know, is storage policy based management really part of, is it part of Sabu? Is it not part of Sabu? I'm, I, don't, I think there's a little bit of a blur, right? Because some of the storage stuff is still kind of kind of done on the, the vSphere side, but then we, we still bring a lot, you know, to the table there, you know, from a Sabu perspective. So, so if you look at Storage consumption from the, um, 
you look at it from what we were, were doing initially with tag-based, you know, storage policies. And then we kind of moved to VVols at least early on. And then vSAN came in there at the kind of the same time. If you look at that, if we look at the storage provisioning side of things, which, hey, you know, what if I get to the point where through an orchestration through VRA, I say I need a workload that has this, 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 all based on policy. And depending on that policy, it could deploy locally or it could deploy to the cloud, just depending on cost availability, requirements, whatever, right? So so if you think about it, you know, compute's kind of easy, you know, where are the resources or what are the resources cost? Let's put some values to it there. But at the same mm-hmm. time, we can do that with storage. You know, and, and uh, um, I haven't worked with this specifically personally yet. Pete, I'm not sure if you have or not. I know that um, our, our boss, Jeff Hunter, as well as uh, some of the other guys in the larger TM team within Sabu have worked with this, but like with HCX being able to move a workload while it's running from, you know, from vSAN or vVols up to VMC, hand that off, move it back. I mean, really, it's kind of, you know, where is it the best fit? Let's make sure we adhere to a policy, meet the requirements, meet the cost. Hey, we find out three months later, either the cost is not what we want or the, um, you know, where we want the workload to be is is not necessarily, you know, the same, right? That kind of thing. And the fact that we can move it back and forth and it's all based on policy, you know, somebody's got to be making those storage, you know, conversations when it comes to those policies, right? And that's kind of where I think Sabu comes in. You know, we've got some things in the hopper that, you know, we've kind of talked about a little bit at VMworld and whatnot that are not out there really publicly yet. I'm not going to go into any of those, but that said, we've always got things going on and, and, from a Sabu perspective, what you see and what we've got are coming or kind of a couple of different things, if you will. Is that a good way to put it, Pete? Oh, yeah. My, my, my take on it, similar to what Jason said, is think so when you think about cloud, right? Like VMware Cloud on AWS runs on vSAN. Uh, you know, vSAN is in the edge, it's on the core, and it's in the cloud. Um, you know, Sabu also focuses with uh, disaster recovery. You know, disaster recovery is not going away. <laughs> That's a big part of what we do, right? Whether it's Site Recovery Manager, whether it's the, um, I forget the name of it for uh, for AWS, but it's like recovery, it's a similar, you know, thing, but it's all that is Sabu. So Sabu has a, Sabu has lots of uptick <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on there and a lot of cool projects, even some of the containers. Um, and, and I'm going to plug it because it's important, but Virtual Blocks is where we park all our content. And I was just on there over the weekend looking because, uh, Recently, one of our buddies, uh, Miles Gray, posted a, a, an awesome post about using vSAN for Kubernetes, you know, and cloud native apps and stuff. And so, like, that stuff is everywhere. You know, there's no, uh, you know, VMware is a huge company and we do have big, you know, if you talk to someone who's NSX, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's all about NSX. You know, <laughs> you talk to somebody in the Sabu, they're like, yeah, it's all about vSAN, of course, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so you might get different opinions on the on the individual. But I will tell you that. As, as Jace alluded to, sometimes that stuff just kind of, you know, there's a lot of overlap, you know, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when Glenn Sizemore works on our team. He focuses on VMware Cloud on AWS, but his team, there are tech marketing folks that are in, you know, because what is VMware Cloud on AWS? Well, it's got storage, it's got, it's got vSAN, it's got vSphere, and it's got NSX. So everybody has a piece of the VMware Cloud on AWS. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it is storage, compute, and it's, it's also networking. Um, same thing with some of these other projects that we got going on. Some of them we won't talk about, but they have, there's a lot of overlap 
between the BUs because we're one big company and we're trying to manage everything in the data center. It's a software defined data center. And that includes, that includes soft storage. It always will. And uh, that, that in itself, the, that's only going to get more and more. I mean, what are we at? We have 17,000 customers now out of how okay. many million, how many, I don't even know how many vSphere customers, but it's insane. Uh, and there's only 17,000, which is great for four years. I mean, it's amazing. We're, we're really killing it, but it's going to get more. So, th I mean, there's a lot of room for for, uh, for Sabu, if you will, to grow. All right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm just curious because as a, as a partner and an outsider, you know, I talk to people in different areas of the company. And, yeah, I, I admittedly, I talk to a lot of the NSX people. And so, yeah, for them, their top of mind is, you know, everything security and networking related. And, you know, they're just like, ah, you don't need that VSAN thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's it, it you know it's funny when it comes to vSAN and and talking security and and that kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, we we actually are the, the the first HCI solution positioned as an HCI solution. I'll say it in that way, right? <clears throat> but as a FIPS 140-2 validated solution. Now that being said, after we went and you know basically got our our encryption module validated and whatnot, then one particular competitor who is who has had software-based encryption for years and years and years and years finally said, hey, you know what, we're HCI too. Well, okay, whatever. We could argue that maybe, but, <laughs> but when, it, when it comes to that, right, um, we're, you know, we're really the first one to, to focus on that, you know, as far as that goes. And, um, you know, we do a lot of work with the, uh, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with DISA from a, from a federal perspective, which um, a lot of people think DOD and that kind of thing, but they, they, don't necessarily, you know, realize they will quite often only associate that with the with the government and the military, right? When in fact, um, I know when I was in the financial sector as well as when I was in the uh, the health insurance sector, we would quite often look at DISA guidelines when it came to the way we set things up to be secure, right? And we're actually the only, you know, a vendor that's got a uh, a DISA or is part of a DISA in a, um, published STIG, right? That's publicly available. So can Kristen, you can you quickly define what FIPS is for anybody who's not aware, which would be so. Me. So FIPS FIPS is one of those wonderful acronyms that we have to deal with. Industry standard. Federal Information Processing Standard, right? There we and, go. And so FIPS one hundred and forty is the number dash two, uh, and there are a couple of different levels. There's like a level one, level two, level three, and so forth, and that that deals with is it software based protection? Is it software with hardware based tampering protection, and so on and so forth? There are a couple of different ones. As far as that goes, but kind of really what it says is it's, it's kind of the, I don't know, it's, I would say I'm cause it's government. I hate to say the gold standard, right? But it's, it's that, just a universally accepted yeah. standard of security. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's right. a better way to say it, you know, as far as that goes, not to say there's not, you know, value there as far as that goes, but um, you know, and, and we, we actually do work closely with DISA to make sure that, within reason, if you will, um, as newer versions of our software come out that we can then provide, hey, look, you know, from 6.0 to 6.5, these are the changes that occurred, right? And the, the interesting part is, is the people within VMware that work directly with DISA for that documentation, they also reach out to the different, um, I would say, af uh, application owners or or software owners or whatnot, you know, I work very closely with a couple of the guys and they're like, hey, you know, what are the changes in 6.5 that I need to be aware of compared to 6.0? You 
and then you know, myself and Mike Foley and other folks, you know, will contribute and give them basically the gambit of here are the things that have changed. If you need a deeper dive, here are the engineers or the PMs you need to speak with and so on. And they go and then they then provoke, propose that to DISA and DISA comes back and says, oh, okay, cool, this is good. And, and let us go through our review on it. At some point, they will publish it, right? So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of, that's one of the great things that, that and Pete kind of alluded to it a minute ago, as far as cross-BU collaboration, we actually have quite a bit of, of cross-industry collaboration, whether it be oh, yeah. with our partners at, at, you know, Dell EMC or, or whether it be some of the other vendors out there, HPE, you know, uh, Lenovo and, and whatnot, as well as some of the, the smaller players that not everybody's heard of necessarily, so. Uh, there's a yep. lot of back and forth. I probably 20% of my week is nothing but talking to external parties. Yeah. And even on the cross BU, like that's cross. So cross BU, just this last, the last update for, for vSAN, we've got integration with, well, it, it actually came the last version, but now it's even better, but we have integration with vSphere update manager, which is not a Sabu product, but it's now a mm-hmm. core function of vSAN, which is huge. And I think Tony, you and I talked about VUM integration before, yep. uh, but also you know, VR ops integration, you know, like all these things, all the things that make vSAN better in these latest, these past couple of updates that we've had are, are cross BU collaboration type things. And so, you know, we love NSX as well, but man, like a lot of what vSAN is doing uh, is not staying in a silo of just storage. You know, it's, you know, it's full data center solution because hyperconverged infrastructure, which is what vSAN is, doesn't have the luxury of just being a storage product. It is, you know, it's it's right. hyper-converged infrastructure. It's everything. So, you know, which means analytics. So we got to work with all of the reporting. It means, you know, obviously storage and performance. And so that's really core to vSAN um, and availability and all that stuff. But it also crosses to networking. It crosses to the uh, to support. You know, we have that vSAN support insight, which is a big part of vSAN where, you know, like if you, uh, you know, yep. we're sending, we're sending um, obfuscated data <laughs> up to the uh, up to support folks. So they can actually see your your vSAN environment. They can't see your data. They can't see your specific configuration information other you know other than the config information. But they can't see your personal like your IPs. And why that's important is, you know, when you're having a problem, they've already got all the logs. They can see you know how your environment is configured. Absolutely, you don't have to ten, spend time updating you know uploading logs to even get your ticket you know before they can even start to figure out what the problem is. They can immediately be like, all right, we've already got the logs. We can see that this is the problem. This is, you've got a driver that's not, that's failing or whatever the case. And so, um, and so that's a really, you know, these are the types of things where you can't just be a storage product. You have to work cross BU with a company like VMware, which to me, I think is exciting. I mean, VMware has always been this full stack solution anyway, you know, and uh, I I think storage fits very nicely into that. Yeah. And there's something I want to go over with you guys, and and you may or may not be able to share some of this stuff, but some of the most interesting sessions to me at VMworld are some of the Christian Dickman sessions, the forward-looking oh, sessions, yeah. the enhancements, uh, feature sets. Is there anything, that I, this is for either one of you, that you guys can actually are allowed to talk about upcoming feature enhancements, things that uh, may be planned, um, anything that you can kind of speak to on that, that you're allowed to? <laughs> Look at Jace chuckling already. Can you tell us what the next number is going to be? Uh, 42. No, um, right, because 42 is the answer to everything, right? Right. Well, um, we've got some betas out there right now that are that are not full. And, and Jace, if you want to jump on some of them, I can, you know, for one, file services is something that's coming out soon. It's not 
you know, and I, I'll be the first to say this loud and clear. It is a version one, you know, you know, edition of something that has been, you know, in a lot of storage arrays for many, many years. Uh, mm-hmm. But but VMware is 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 playing with file services for the first time. And so that's, you know, there's nothing official to announce here other than the fact that there is a beta going on. And uh, and we're testing that in, in storage. Uh, that was one of the betas. Jace, anything else that you can think of? Uh, I mean, I, I can think of some other, some couple other things, right, as far as that goes. But and, and I'm, I'm probably not going to cover them as far as that goes. But I will say um, or I was going to say something. I completely lost my train of thought there. Um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to I can't really articulate what I'm trying to say here. This is frustrating. Um, I, don't know, I, I will say that that I've I'll be honest with you, I've literally been like this, just just blinders on for probably the better part of the past month working on uh, on a document that I've com- got coming out um, okay. specific to um, uh, it's I call it a power CLI cookbook for vSAN. Okay. Now, cook, cookbook is like, you know, recipes and here's how you yeah, do this sure. and whatnot. And, and I didn't really approach it from the perspective of here's a recipe to enable encryption. Here's a recipe to do this. Here's, you know, there's a little bit of that, right? As far as it goes, you know, there's a good bit of here's how you would do this and here's how you do that and the other and that kind of thing. But to give an example, right? If you look at one of the updates in 6.7 update one, uh, trim and unmap for VMs that oh, yeah. support it, right? A lot of people have asked for that. It's one of those things that you have to log into the RVC, run a, a quick little configuration change. You've got to, I think, power off your VMs that are that you expected on, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm like digging through the API, trying to figure out how do I take this RVC command and turn it into a power CLI command to kind of make it easier, right, for, for people to be able to enable it, that kind of thing. And I, and I, I work very, very closely with the team that, that – does the commandlets for uh, Sabu, right? I want to say commandlets for Sabu. Um, trying to get some work done on some vSphere replication stuff. Okay. Uh, I think I'm there, I, may be, I may have found a recent bug with uh, the SRM commandlets, but I really focus a lot on the vSAN-based commandlets, that kind of thing. But kind of where I'm getting at with this is, as I reached out to the guys, I was like, hey, look, I'm trying to do this in, um, trying to do this in PowerCLI, Looking at the git vSAN view, um, you know, uh, uh, commandlet, it doesn't expose this. They go, yeah, we're not exposing it now. And I'm like, well, you know, we've released this feature. We've got people, you know, asking for an easier way to to do this. You know, how do I go about doing this? That kind of thing. And they're like, okay, we'll work on it. Hopefully, you know, we can get it out in the next release or two or three or whatever at some point in the future, right? But kind of where I'm getting at 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 um, that specifically is 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 we're constantly working on it, we're constantly changing. You know, some of the things that we've done in um, in 6.7, as an example, were backported to 6.6, mm-hmm. right? Um, in fact, there's something I've been working on for probably three years now. I've been trying. Anybody who knows me and what's close to me when it comes to parts of our product and feature set with vSAN, they'll they can clue in on this, but I'm not going to say what it is. But literally for three years, I've been working on getting this one little thing done to be easier. And it looks like work's being done on it. And I'm like, well, hey, can we do this for 6.7? And they said, well, you know, we could do it for 6.7. And maybe we can even backport it to, to 6.6, right? That kind of thing. So kind of where I'm getting at is is, is we get a lot of customers. And, and, and I deal a lot with the, with the government side of the house, too. <clears throat> 
um, they don't always get to upgrade as quickly as everybody else. You know, they may say, well, you know, because of this reason, I can only stay on vSphere 6.5 and six, vSAN 6.6 6 or whatever. Sure. But we continually, you know, you may see a new feature in 6.7, and if you look under the release notes or under the covers for 6.6, 6, you may find the same same one there, right? So that's, you know, a lot of stuff you see in, in announced, you know, loudly and proudly in 6.7, you'll actually find in 6.6. 6. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, like resync fairness as an example, right? That was something that, that um, got found its way into 6.6. .6. And then also something that I, I argued with the PM for vSAN um, in January of 2016. I was like, hey, why are our swap files space reserved? Oh, well, if you ever run out, if, you know, if your swap files run out of space, then your VM will crash. And I said, I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. I said, but... No. If I'm running out of space for my swap files, I've got bigger problems. I've mm -hmm. got bigger problems. So a bit of a compromise was made. We introduced sparse swap files in vSAN 6.2 about two months after that. Well, in 6.6, .6, or in 6.7, we introduced the ability for swap files to, to um, uh, what's the word, inherit the same policy that the namespace uses. Okay. I was in a conversation with someone the other day, and, and they said, uh, oh, yeah, and the, the swap files got the, got the same you know policy as the... Uh, uh, you know, is the namespace. And I said, is this 6.7? And they said, no, 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 it's 6.6. It's and I said, wait a minute, this is 6.6? Six, six? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is like update whatever of 6.6. Six. They backported that. Oh, wow. Nice. I didn't know that. All right, so we're, we're constantly doing, you know, sneaking in little things that you have to re read the release notes to. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And that, right, saves, that saves customers a lot of money, you know, because they don't have to worry about, you know, allocating all this storage space for a swap file. So that's, that's, a, big, that's a big thing. And, and, and honestly, that was something that Jace was yelling about, I think, the first day I met him. Uh, <laughs> I had conversations so. with him about it several years ago as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, he, was, he, was, he would tell anyone who would listen, and guess what? They listened. And, and as a result, people are saving a lot of money. So, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Um, a lot of cool things in the future. We had a we had a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago with uh, William Lamb and 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 one of the the guys who actually wrote the engineer engineered the code for ARM, you know, ESXi on ARM. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was that was pretty cool, man. And, and so he shared some stuff with us, and you know, and I won't I won't obviously I don't I want to keep my job, so I won't share too much about what's happening. But one of the things that they did share was that they are exper experimenting with how to use ESXi in vSAN. ESXi on ARM and how would how would that look? What would that look like? You know, and, and how can we That'd make be interesting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, and so it's you know, so there's some there's some cool stuff there that's that's being looked into, mm. uh, and and it just sort of really solidifies the fact that yeah, the storage and availability. There's so much going on. There's so yeah. many different pieces and people working on different things that uh, it's definitely an exciting place to be for sure. Cool. So I can buy. So I can buy a bunch of Raspberry Pis and go down to my local Best Buy and run my own, roll your own vSAN, right? Yeah. Well, so, so if you think about it, though, I mean, how much RAM does a Raspberry Pi have? Like a gig? Yeah. You know, so which which yeah. services are you going to run? You know, right as far as that goes. But um, in the same ARM platform, you know, they've got some other um, uh, very, very, like, you know, low cost. Like I looked at an ARM box uh, a couple weeks ago or about a month ago uh, that had like four gigs of RAM. And it was maybe only about 20% more than a Raspberry Pi. So I think we're going to see industry-wise, we're going to see more and more, you know, um, uh, cost-effective, you know, ARM-type gear. 
Yep. Yeah. And, I've seen a lot of arguments around that. And a lot of people are saying th- similar things or what can you do with it? You know, it's not a lot of RAM there, but there's lots of different devices that run ARM and you can throw a lot more oh, RAM. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. as a matter of fact, when you start thinking about those, the, the edge, right? I mean, wind turbines, things that are not really, you know, don't think about a traditional, don't think about a traditional, you know, to you server sitting in a, in a, in a, in an office. Think about your car. Think about things like a winter, things that are, that are going to be managed by something. Uh, and, and, and VMware is going to be part of that. You know, they're going to manage things, whether it's the inventory, the patching, you know, the updating on devices, uh, it, on the internet of things, if you will. So there's a lot of room for growth in that future space. And of course, you know, the initial thought when people saw the raspberry, when Ray O'Farrell, you know, hands, uh, Pat Gelsinger, the, the, the raspberry Pi at VMworld, he's like, Oh, by the way, here, this has got, this is running ESXi. Um, everybody was like, Oh, that's great. But what are you going to do with that? You know? And it's like, yeah. that mindset is like, Oh, okay. So you're still thinking in 2017. You know, where these guys are thinking in 2020, you know, (laughs) or 2025. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I I had this conversation with an OEM uh, not long ago, right? And uh, we're talking about like edge use cases and whatnot. You know, we the conversation started off, you know, in two node vSAN that kind of thing, and then we started getting a little bit more granular, granular, and and uh, like I I I have a, a friend of mine that used to own a gas station, and Time to time, I'd get a call. Hey, you know, I've got the guy from Exxon's going to come in, and he's got to do this, this, and this. But you know, having a problem with the network, and he didn't know anything about it. He didn't contract anybody local or whatnot. But you look at all those different edge environments, whether it be a gas station, whether it be a uh, you know an ATM somewhere, whatever, you know, a, a pharmacy, you know, whatever. There's so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, whether I mean, like oil and gas and oil derricks and pumps and things like that. I mean, there's so many different opportunities for edge type, you know, deployments. It's ridiculous. Now, that may or may not include a whole lot of storage. I mean, does that really matter? You know, as far as that goes. But at the same time, um, you know, it could be that that they need a bit of distributed data. You know, as far as that goes. What if you've got an you know an oil field that's essentially got ARM-based vSAN across all these oil derricks? You know, with some resiliency to it. Or even think of the battlefield with, you know, you've got all these Humvees, you know, and mm-hmm. I can survive this many Humvees being offline due to, you know, whatever, right? IEDs or, you know, I mean, all, all that stuff, you know, I, I would say VMware in some form or fashion has to be, I don't know these people personally, right? Um, has to be looking <laughs> at, at those types of use cases, you know, as far as that goes. So, I mean, the fact that, that you know, work is being done on uh, ESXi on ARM is, is exciting. I am profoundly dumbfounded. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for chiming in. Join the podcast yeah. after all. <laughs> so we actually had a couple of uh, live viewers, and we actually have a question from the audience. Oh, boy. Ooh. Yeah. So I, mean, I think this is probably directed at Pete. Um, the question is, do you think 2019 is the year that we'll see more widespread adoption of VVOLs? That is a good question, uh, and uh, Pete is right. But so, Vivals <laughs> definitely is one of those things where we've been talking about it for a while, and you know, initially the inhibitors that we've seen, as, as some may not know this, but real quick, the inhibitors to Vivals initially was everyone's like, "Oh, what a great idea! Granular management of my storage with policy-based management, 
Uh, I can finally get rid of LUNs because everybody knows. LUNs suck. I don't want to <laughs> configure my LUNs. I don't want to configure IQNs. I want to just have one big happy data store where I can have different classes of service um, and manage that by policy. That's this is this is what you know the the data center is is promising. The software defined data center. I want to be able to I want to automate when I can. Uh, I want to be having a policy driven environment. And Vivals was bringing this promise, but the only problem was is you know everyone was like great, but it can't I can't replicate the data yet because uh, it doesn't support array based replication or my storage vendor that I use doesn't support Vivals yet. And so those were like the key inhibitors, you know, for a lot of folks. And then the other big one was nobody was moving to, I mean, not everybody, the, the, the shift, if you will, of folks moving off of 5.x was, mm -hmm. was, uh, was still there. You know, and like, like Jay said, you know, sometimes government and other, other large organizations, they don't jump on every new version of vSphere. So yeah. it takes a while. But when those upgrades happen, what we're seeing now is a, a hockey stick of uptick on vVols because number one, we support array-based replication. Number two, everybody's moving off of 5.x because it's not supported. Um, you know, and number three, all storage vendors are having a version of of the of vVols. And so 2019 is already start is is going to be definitely there's going to be more uptick because as we look at the numbers, even all of last year, it has just been going higher and higher and higher as people move on to uh, 6.x. So I'm definitely excited. I, I have a call tomorrow with yet another Vivals customer that, you know, like that people are using this in production, you know, and it's getting more and more and more. So it, we always knew that was going to happen. Nobody really jumps on a 1.x product. I mean, I don't, did anybody really, did anybody even ever buy vSAN 5.5, you know, other than test and, you know, it was test and dev, you know, it was, uh, it was the very first version of, of VMware trying to jump into this fully, you know, <laughs> mature storage environment. And so, and, and so after four years, things changed. And VVOLS has been around for about, you know, almost three years now. So it's, it's, it's starting to get its legs, you know, and it's, uh, and w I'm working with some really large customers here in Raleigh that are using VVOLS in production, like constantly. Uh, I, Cody Hosterman from Pure, you know, is constantly reaching out to me with some of his customers to help about different situations. And so we're seeing, we're seeing uptick. Uh, and I will say, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but I will say uh, some storage vendors um, that may be related to VMware are putting heavy uh, engineering resources into VVOL specific um, applications. Interesting. Uh, and that is, that's, that's a sign uh, that, peop that it's, it's not going anywhere. And, uh, and so, yeah, is 2019 going to be the year of VVOLs? It is, it is definitely going to be a, a, a continuing, it's, we're going to see the growth in 2019 for sure. So I, I want to kind of step back two steps a little bit, and this is a selfish question. Um, <laughs> I have a, a, a client that I'm basically, I've, I've sold my first VxRail kit to a customer. So, you know, you can play the celebration song there if you have one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what comes with that, of course, is, you know, it's, v, it's all vSAN, vSAN all the time. So this is, we, when we go through the migration process and the move-in process, in your guys' experience and things you've heard from customers, 
what are maybe a couple of key things to look out for as you're moving from your traditional sand vendor product to, you know, a fully baked solution like VxRail with vSAN? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, you, you sold something that's got vSAN, so we got to play the vSAN song. vSAN. Hyperconverged. Now. vSAN. <laughs> Now that you technology, absolutely. Now that you've bought vSAN, you know that's awesome. But there are some things you want to consider, right? And, and Tony, I think you you know this well. We've had some of these conversations, but you know one of the one of the big questions we get is, well, how many nodes do I need, and 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 how do I can how do I configure this so I can stay available? And so one of the big questions is, you know, when you're doing your architecture, how, how many hosts do you do you configure? Well, well that's already taken care of because you know Dell sold, built all that for us. Okay. So, okay. So now it's now you know we they gonna they're gonna come they're gonna rack it stack it and set it up. So I'm talking about the day one move of getting stuff you know actually running on it. What do we have to look out for there? Uh, are they gonna already configure all your disk groups for you? Is everything gonna be already configured? See, I don't know. I've never done one of these before. I think I think I think Rail does that. I think they do. Keep keep in mind, we're, you know, we're we're a little bit like this when it comes to, you know, some of the some of the nuances, if you will, as far as what way, uh, rail will and won't do, right? As yeah. far as like, there's some things that that VMware will say, well, oh, absolutely, we support that, we're good, and then rail will go, uh, you know, we want to make sure that you're up to speed on this before we allow you to do that, right? That kind of thing. Um, and specifically, I'm talking about like a like a stretch cluster or whatever, they have some, some additional steps that they require to ensure that you're familiar with it. But, yeah. but that's, that's one of the situations that, that I find from a, um, from a, uh, uh, you know, just knowing the product the way I do. Um, it's important to understand the behavior, maybe not necessarily a super deep dive or, or whatnot, but I was talking with a customer at VMworld and they were saying, um, you know, hey, look, uh, you know, we were we were trying to get some performance out of this one VM, so we went and we changed the policy for that one particular disk for the VM, and we, we really, really liked the results. So when we did that, we said, hey, let's apply that policy to all the VMs, to no. all the objects. <laughs> and what they were doing, what they did was, is they had a, a stretch config, but in that stretch config, they, um, they, they configured a stripe width policy of four, or number of stripes per object of four. Well, when they did that, that meant that every individual VMDK across the entire cluster, in you know, in, in each fault domain, if you will, you know, as far as that goes, had to maintain that particular policy. Well, so they go and they do that, and everything's running great and whatnot. Well, then they have a host fail. Well, they have a host fail, and in the process of having that host fail, of course, it's offline at that point. Um, they go and they put another host in maintenance mode. Well, they didn't realize that when you put a host in maintenance mode, this says, hey, I'm not taking any updates. I'm going to sit over here to the side for now, right, because I'm in maintenance. And they didn't realize that. They had a, they had a, a couple of VMs go offline. Well, the, they went offline because they forced them offline. So kind of where I'm getting at with this is, is it's good to have at least a, a somewhat of a working knowledge of – you know, what happens when a host goes in maintenance mode? What happens when a you know when a uh, device fails or when a host goes offline and so on? Right. The host that went offline, the data was fine. It's just it was absent, right? Because we look for a given amount of time. Hey, you know that host has lost power, and we're expecting it to come back in a certain amount of time, where it's being patched or whatever. Well, those those objects were absent. Well, when they went and they put another one and forced it into maintenance mode, they pulled off another 
set of components that basically made some of their VMs inaccessible. That was something they did. So those kind of things are, I think, are, are important to understand. Now, um, you know, another thing that's important to understand is when you're moving the, moving those workloads over from a traditional environment over to vSAN is, is um, you know, what policies are required, right? And what I mean by that is, is, is uh, let's say, for instance, I've got this, this um, oh, am I losing power here? Oops. You guys hear that beeping? Yeah. yeah. Your BS system. <laughs> What's going on? All right. We maybe, still the see VR, you, so that's good. maybe the VR in the other room is sucking down too much power. Uh, anyway, um, but like they'll go and they'll have they'll have one disk on on one data store, you know, that's let's say maybe you know RAID five, RAID six, RAID DP, whatever, and they may have another another VMDK part of that same VM that's actually on a, a RAID you know RAID one based data store for performance or whatnot. It's supported to kind of know what they're coming from and kind of what an appropriate, what they're going to is, right? So that's yeah. part of it, you know, as far as that goes. Um, and then also, you know, ensuring policy compliance, right? You know, it's not just set a, set a VM and set a policy and then that's it. You do have to go in and kind of look every now and then and kind of see where things are, if things are offline or um, also when you go to... components? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, give an example, right? So I, I wrote a Power CLI script not too long ago that will let you go from. We have a, a, a memory config change when we go to when we support clusters larger than 32. So I made a Power CLI script that would go through and it would literally make the setting change, and you have to reboot the host. But what I did was I waited until all resyncs were done on that uh, on the cluster before rebooting the host. And Christian Dickman, you know, some other folks were like, hey, you know. Why are you doing that? If a host goes into maintenance mode, then you know it's it's going to be protected anyway. Well, yes, I understand that. But if I'm sitting here waiting, looking at a script, waiting for this host to go into maintenance mode, I'm going to scratch my head. Why is it not in maintenance mode? And I force it, then I've done something bad, right? It's going to resync anyway. So I added that piece to be able to give the administrator the ability to watch, mm -hmm. right? As a, you know, so little nuances like that, you know, is kind of the way I look at it. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, absolutely. And on the maintenance mode tip, Britton, um, one of the things that's important for, for folks to understand is in a storage world, when you put a host in maintenance mode, you're only thinking compute. Right. You know, you're thinking, ah, well, where do, where, are the, where, do the, where do these VMs reside? Oh, so VM 1, 2, and 3 reside on host 1. You know, VMs 3, 4, and 5 reside on, you know, host 2. With storage, it's different, right? The, the compute, yes, they're gonna, it's going to be exactly the same. But the, the distribution of the components that make up a specific virtual machine's disk are going to be, based on the policy, are either going to be, you know, RAID 1, there'll be a copy on two different hosts, uh, or they're going to be striped across multiple hosts. But the location of that, you never have to worry about as an administrator, which is a beautiful thing. You can see where it is. Uh, one of the times that you at least want to be maybe cognizant of what's going on is when you're putting a host in maintenance mode, you're going to be, you know, given some questions. Okay, so you want to put host one in maintenance mode that has VM one, two, and three? Great. It also has storage components for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven on this host. What do you want to do with this? Do you want to migrate all that data to a, a host that's going to stay online, which depending on your environment could be very time consuming and you might not even have that much time in your maintenance window? Uh, uh, or do you want to keep it where it is and let vSAN handle it like, like we talked about with um, being absent? Uh, for uh, up to 60 minutes. And so therefore, if I put it in maintenance mode, I run some updates. When the host comes back online, vSAN's going to go, oh, you're back. Let me let me true up. Let me let me sync all the deltas to make sure that this host that was offline is now up to date with any changes that may have happened. 
And so you're given some questions that you're not normally given when you're talking about a SAN environment that's like uh, tiered storage uh, or, or, or separate storage as opposed to, to uh, HCI. So maintenance mode is one of those considerations and it's all taken care of for you. You know, vSAN does a really good job of making sure you don't, you know, you know, shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> but you want to do some experimenting when you're looking at things like maintenance mode and start digging around in the configuration of, of vSphere to see, oh, what components are actually, you know, that, that belong to the d different VMs are actually residing on a host that I might potentially want to put into maintenance mode. So. Cool. As well, yeah, and, so, and, uh, let me just add real yeah. quick. I mean, really, any, any scaled system is going to behave the same way, right, as far as that goes. You've got to be aware. You can't just take this guy out, take this guy out, take this guy I mean, you can't, right? And then going further, if we kind of take it out of the out of the scaled system side of things, if I'm doing replication, well, replication in, in itself is pretty easy. Let's just replicate, boom, replicate, replicate, replicate. But when you get to the point where you look at application level consistency in replication, where you've got uh, consistency groups, where let's say, for instance, you know the the web tier, the app tier, and the data tier are all snapped at the same time, so they're consistent before they're replicated, that kind of thing. So they're the same point in time, right? It's really just a, it's a, it's a different way of looking at things, you know, and, and you kind of got to have a better idea of what's going on across the board, right? Whether it be, you know, like a, like a disaster recovery type system, this is just a scaled system. Like if you were to step back 10 years ago and look at an Isilon cluster as an example, and you decided to do this and do this and do this and do this, you may have a, a situation where you've got data in availability. I talked to a customer before I left my last job, and, and we were doing a root cause analysis for some VMs going offline. And and, uh, and he said, well, you know, we were doing a test. We ended up basically disconnecting these two sides of the cluster. And I said, well, yeah, that's why you had a problem. Oh, really? I was test testing the availability. And it's like, oops. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, that's not a... <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't a that that was a scaled system right a scaled out system but it was only storage here we're just we've got vSphere on top of it as well you know? all right so so the wisdom that i'm hearing is and especially what i should advise the customer who bought this thing is before they fully move their environment into it they should probably move in just a couple of mean meaningless machines and kick the tires and then you know turn I, I some stuff on anything. and off and just see what happens yeah i i would say that with anything Right. You know, I'm not saying necessarily just, you know, vSAN. Right. Matter. Anything you're not familiar with, you know, um, I mean, I've seen as if a you customer, buy a race car. Right. Same thing. Right. If yeah. you buy a race car, you might want to figure out how to drive a race car. It's a little different than driving a regular car. You know what I'm saying? Uh, right. You might want to put the same gas and same oil in it. So it's going to be different. And so, yeah, you, you definitely want to have someone who knows what they're handling. But, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything specific to vSAN that you yeah. need cautious about you just obviously you want to have someone that knows how to handle your infrastructure and they should know what they're you know know how to handle it it's kind of like using brakes in the snow right so like oh, yeah. i mean I, I was driving the other day and i've got the jeep in four-wheel drive and i'm just kind of going along and then i went to hit the brakes and i'm like ah! and, and, <laughs> and and it's because my you know my my wheels locked up well oh yeah they locked up because I hit the brakes. I needed to pump the brakes instead, you know, that kind of thing. It's like driving in Louisiana versus driving in snow-laden, you know, Colorado, you know, different environments. Just a little bit different and need to know what the nuances are. Yeah, yeah and you should tell him. 
sorry, Tony, I was going to say, you should tell them that, you know, storagehub.vmware.com, we have like, there's so much information on this portal that has like, you know, how to learn and evaluate, uh, showing operations guides, you know, best practices, FAQs, demo videos, offline environments where you can actually test this stuff and see the different things that, that vSAN can do. So if they're new to vSAN and they're just getting it for the first time, even if they haven't, you know, set the gear up, there's a lot of content that can sort of get them up to speed on uh, on Storage Hub. Yeah. Well, and, and and part of that is that that's why we really were, you know, intrigued with the, with VxRail as a solution because yeah, they'll come out, you know, hook it all up, do the full full configuration. It's a turnkey product, and at the end they just have to just yeah set up set up whatever policies they want. Mm -hmm. So. Well, so so at the same time, right? As far as that goes, um, let's say I go and I I have a VM that's mirrored, and I've got a four-node all-flash cluster, or let's say six-node all-flash cluster, whatever, and I decide to convert that over to um, to erasure coding RAID five as an example. Well, I need to know that I'm going to make a full copy of that data as I'm converting it from from mirrored to erasure coded, right? So if I've got 200 gigs of mirrored data which from a raw perspective is 400 gigs, right? Mm -hmm. keep, keep in mind, we expose raw. We don't expose um, protected, if you will, right? Um, so now I've got 400 gigs here, but then if I go and I make an erasure-coded copy of that, then I've got to make a full copy of it with the new protection scheme. Now, that's not really a big, a big deal, if you, you know, if you will, in the grand scheme of things, but... What if I apply a policy to 400 VMs at one time and I've got 70% utilization right now? That's an operational thing that I need to be aware of, that if I go and say, do it, then I'm probably going to get really close to, I mean, we've got some protection in, in later versions that kind of prevent you from just completely filling it up, you know, as far as that goes. But mm -hmm. it's important to realize, hey, Mm, is this something I can do or, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of like there are some trails that I probably could accomplish with the Jeep, but when I'm done, the Jeep may not be in the best shape right okay. afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, I will give another teaser though for my power CLI cookbook coming out pretty much this week, right? We've got goals due this week, right? Pete? Oh yeah. Friday. Okay. <laughs> it better be out by Friday. <laughs> yeah, It'll be out by Friday. So, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, I do have a little PowerShell script that will literally go and look at, like, say, give me all the VMs that meet this requirement. And then you can say, well, I only want to do, like, five at a time or ten at a time or twenty at a time. And what it'll do is it'll go and do those and then wait till resyncs are over. And then when resyncs are over, it'll pick up the next batch, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether it be guidance on Storage Hub, you know, uh, guidance on virtual blocks, we've got the VMware Learning Zone also, uh, or, you know, little pieces like this, some sample code that, you know, that, Myself, William Lamb, and others have put out. We're trying to help you know, give customers the ability to use it in a smarter way, or you know, um, I guess that's probably the best way of saying it, right? A smarter way, more efficient way. Yeah, and that's a good point because I actually, uh, when I first migrated our company over to vSAN, I discovered that one the hard way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had not been told anything along those lines. Our consultant was, you know, very new. They didn't know very much about vSAN at the time and I think we were one of their first customers and I was applying a policy change to just I think it was just one VM I wasn't you know trying to do a mass update but it was a large enough VM that it said okay we need to make room for this and we need to 
can move this around. And it just became a cascading effect that by the time I'm done, instead of like a couple of resyncing objects, I'm resyncing half my cluster. Um, so moving things around to make room. Yeah, exactly. Um, so those are definitely some key things to be aware of. Jay's made some really good points in there to avoid some pitfalls. <laughs> and and the other thing to also make note of it, though, is that we were uh, a much earlier adopter of vSAN than you are. So we were looking at not nearly as much protection and resync. Adaptive resync wasn't a thing back then as well. Oh, yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. things have come a long way to make things much better. Yeah, I don't think we had resync um, throttling or any of that kind of nope. stuff at that time either. So yep. So, yeah, constant updates to the product. Yep. Yeah, we could we could spend a half an hour just on the goodness of adaptive resync for sure, and and the throttling as well. Yeah, and six seven u one also gives you the ability when you're making policy changes, uh, it, it it gives you that i it gives you that notice right away. It says, oh, so you want to change this policy? Well, based on the amount of VMs that you have that have that policy, here's how much storage that's going to incur. You know, and yeah. so it gives you that upfront look like. Uh, do you really want to push that button? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things things that would have been nice in the uh, the older version I was running at the time. Those are some really nice safeguards you guys have added in. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Storage is cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Natasha. Where did that come from? Uh, oh, that's a long story. <laughs> uh, I'll say it's one, one of John's finds. <laughs> we'll we'll save that for VM World. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tony, do you have another question? Um, let's see. Um, just kind of another thing along the lines of, you know, your VxRail customer kind of thing. Um, another thing that another place that they're going to spend some time and in learning the interface, uh, learning information about the health of their cluster is going to be in the vSAN health monitoring section. There's a lot of good information in there. You can do capacity planning um, depending on the size of the cluster. Uh, you're going to have things like um, your one host node failure limit. Um, so you can see how close you are to that. Uh, object component health, resync objects, um, capacity. If you're using an all flash cluster and you're using dedupe and compression, you'll be able to see how much space you're saving, your dedupe and compression ratio. Um, so there's a lot of different things uh, that you can see in there. You can see where individual components lie, what, what physical disk they are on. So there's a lot of Good information in there to look for as well. So, yep. uh, let me add to that. Um, so Jeremy Merrill, who is one of the guys that I spend a little time back and forth with as far as his uh, uh, vSAN mechanics and whatnot, really, really good guy over, over at Dell. He had a blog post. It's like, um, I forget the name of his site. It's something on the rails or something. I forget what it is. But um, uh, I think with the absolute latest version of Rail, like 4.7.100, or, or I'm not sure of their, their numbering scheme, um, they now have a plug-in for the H5 client. So you, as I understand it, you don't have to go into the Rail manager for a lot of the stuff that you used to. You can do it right from the HTML5 client, which is pretty cool. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'd say that you know it's worth looking into as a uh, as a new customer to vSAN um, is that there are different types of encryption that you could use. So you could use VMware encryption or vSphere encryption, which is a more you know VM level type encryption, uh, or you can use vSAN encryption, which had you know which is at a cluster level uh, for vSAN itself. So there's different and and so you know there's a it de- depending on your environment uh, and depending on your needs for encryption. Uh, there are options, and so as a as a new customer to vSAN, it, it would it would behoove you to look into the two different types of encryption and see which one best fits your your use case. 
What if they don't actually need encryption? Then they don't have to worry about it. All right. <laughs> I didn't know if it was on by default. Everyone so. needs encryption. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the thing, I, just the, the one little thing that I would say about encryption, right? And obviously, encryption does require an enterprise license of vSAN. But um, in fact, I think it's right. Yeah, right over here. You can't see it, but there's like this. This. Yeah, there it is. See it? You guys mm. see that box right there? Yeah. Right? Yep. It's an old iOmega PX4300R um, that I got from a government auction. And I've since pulled the drives out of it and everything. But I spun it up and it had some IP address that I, you know, wasn't on my network and whatnot. And so I, I got on Google and I went and I, you know, I was like, well, how do you reset an iOmega PX3, PX4300R? They gave me the steps, and I went through the steps, and it came back up, pulled a DHCP address, and I logged in with the with the admin account, and I found ten years of personal data. Oh my gosh! Ten wow. years of personal data, and if I were, and I've even got a blog post on my website about it. Um, if I were someone who were nefarious or whatever, I could have used a lot of that to destroy some lives or whatever, right? You know, illegal. Oh. Identity theft and all that kind of stuff. I mean, social security numbers, credit card numbers. I mean, there was so much data on there. It was ridiculous. Wow. Um, I wiped it. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But where I'm getting at with this is, is this was just some old file server sitting in a government office that they stored data. And then when it hit its lifespan, it's, you know, when lifecycle management said it's this many years old, it's out. All they did was unplug it and go put it on a pallet and said it goes to auction. They didn't do anything about cleaning it or anything. Wow. That's one of the great things about VM Shane. encryption and vSAN encryption Shane. is as long as they can't talk to the KMS to be able to retrieve the key to unlock the disks or unlock the VM, the data is useless. Right. Right? So That is it, shameful. That should be criminal, actually. It yeah. should be criminal. It should be criminal. But, so, uh, you know, I mean... That, that that reminds me of like an old 60 Minutes clip I saw a couple of years years ago where they were talking about these, you know, electronics dumpy graveyards in Africa where, you know, we in America, we ship our stuff to some recycling company and then they wholesale it to somebody else. And then it just ends up in some, you know, Timbuktu Africa country. And so this, these reporters like actually pulled some hard drives out of the pile brought them home, plugged them into a machine, and we're, like, pulling off all kinds of stuff from, from state agency. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that didn't surprise me one bit. Yeah. Now, I thought this know, was in the cloud. Right. <laughs> when I decommission something, I decommission something. Mm-hmm. It's either going to get a sledgehammer or I don't have, a, I don't have a degausser yeah. to buy, you know, where I can get to it. Or it's going to have a five-five-six round through it, or a two-two-three, or a nine-millimeter, or something. It's going to be decommissioned and no longer usable. Yeah. You know, and that's just you know, I mean, that's you know, I the way I look at it is is with, with VM encryption, VSAN encryption, the way we do things, it's easy to overcome that, you know. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Laziness or lack of attention to detail or, or missing a step or policy, right? You know, as far as I guess. Easy. So easy because you've literally got to have a system up and running that can talk to your KMS. And if you don't have it, that's it. It's not, I mean, it's just not recoverable whatsoever, you know. 
It's a brick, but, like your iPhone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. So, and if people if people don't want to, you know, clear their data, they can ship me their drives, and I'll go and I'll, you know, I'll do all the paperwork, and I'll put some five five six rounds through them, and you know. You hear to hear first, people. If you want to get yeah. rid of your data, send them to Jace. Jace's <laughs> data destruction service. <laughs> they make good targets. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> I used to have a degausser, though. When I was in the military, it was so great. I mean, we would walk up to this thing. We'd open. I mean, this thing was huge, you know, but it had a little, you know, spot that was this big. But you drive in and you close the thing and then you go and you find like a top of an aluminum pot or pan, you know, whatever, and you cover yourself with it and then you hit the button and you hear all the zzzz, <laughs> and it was degaussed yeah all right so i know you guys aren't allowed to talk about a whole lot of future stuff but let's let's do some hypotheticals here okay Uh-oh. um i want each of you pete and jason hey tony if you want to you know throw out a wish list item let's do that too um what is one thing you wish vsan could do that it currently can't. So that's something Tony's asking, or that's something I'm just asking, asking in general. Hypotheticals. Asking. What's something that you know it doesn't do today that you would like it? To, do you like to see it do? Ah, uh, Jace, you should be right on point with this one. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Not revealing anything, you know. No, no, it's 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 not a it's not a VSAN thing specifically, right? But but something that I've been vocal about is is for instance the way that we deploy a VSAN witness. I would like that to be a bit more streamlined, and I'll say that we uh, we do have people that are uh, looking at that, efforting that. Cool. Short and sweet. And like the reason it. I say that is, is I mean, I, I do a lot of two node VSAN. I do a lot. I mean. I, I could literally do nothing but two node vSAN every day, all day, because there's that much call for it. You wow. know, whether it be retailers or whether it be, um, uh, you know, banking or uh, uh, let's see, retail banking, some, some other customers I can't talk about, you know, whatnot. I mean, there's literally that much call for it. And one of the things that we need to do better is the way we deploy a witness. I've got some workarounds, you know, as far as that goes, but hopefully uh, before too long, we'll see some updates that make it a bit uh, a bit smoother yeah we just deployed a two node in september mm-hmm. pete do you have anything to add uh, i i'll do a safe one because uh and it is <laughs> and it's true i mean it's definitely true is i would love to see vsan um be a fully fledged um uh file server as well you know have uh have file services that would be you know just you know Fully, fully functional, and and do all the things that you want your file services uh, to do for your array, and so that's definitely something that I'm excited about, and I think that hopefully in the future we'll have that. Tony, so you're a customer. As a customer, what do you want to see that you, that you don't get right now? To be honest, a lot of the pain points have already been solved with past releases. Um, my biggest sticking point right now is. And I, I completely understand why you guys had to do it. And it's not Jason. It's not Pete. It's, it's, it's other folks uh, that are at fault on this one. But there was a, a critical vSAN patch that came out. And I absolutely hate 
the fact that I am stuck due to backup server situations and other things completely beyond my control. I cannot update my cluster right now, and I hate seeing that big freaking red X on my cluster that there's a vSAN critical patch available. And I panic every time I see it. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just that. So now I'm desensitized to it. So if I see another critical vSAN error, I'm going to be like, well, well, uh, so yeah, go ahead, Chase. Go ahead, go ahead, Pete. Go ahead. I was going to say, well, they, they fixed that. <laughs> uh, vSAN 6.7 update one gives you the ability to customize your alarms. So you okay. can say, you can say, you know what? I know this. I'm not worried about this and it'll go away. And you can, you can actually silence specific alarms. Yeah. So, so I have to, to update to, get, to be able to get rid of it, and I can't to, update to, to get add, rid of it. To add to that, to add to that, <laughs> all right. So, so what Pete didn't say with that statement was in the UI, right? So, so more importantly, and, and you're on 6.6, Tony. I, I know we've, we've um, yep. we, I, I've, wor I've worked with you a little bit on, on, uh, on your, some of your clusters. Um, yep. But uh, you can actually silence those alerts with 6.6, in I think either the Ruby vSphere console or with PowerCLI. So there is okay. a capability of doing that now uh, with what you have. But after many of us, Pete, myself, a lot of the folks in the vExpert Slack, hey, I've got alarm fatigue and so on and so forth. You know, those yeah. kinds of things. They finally got it in the UI, um, which is you know really, really good in that. What I mean by that is, is as more and more people voice concerns, hey, we're seeing this. Can we adjust this behavior, whatever, so on and so forth? The UI team is actually getting even more fluid when it comes to working with uh, with Sabu, you know, as far yeah. as that goes. But you can uh, silence that alarm. Maybe I need to to carve that out and go put that in my uh, my cookbook. Yep. If I get that done before the end of the week on how to silence alarm on pre six seven update one, I know yeah. we've got some documentation out there. Sounds like a good blog post, Jace. Yeah, I got all my blogs for the for the past six months. <laughs> all right, well, Tony, sounds like a good blog post for you then. <laughs> I guess we I'll, just I'll hand out work, be it. The only Pete, thing Pete and I are thinking: How many blog posts have I got in? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have I met my goals? Uh, exactly. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that that particular error was such a like a Peter? hole in the wall, limited. Yeah. scenario that it just like to see that red in the cluster over that one is just like you'd have to be lame brain to hit that one but i guess somebody did somewhere yeah yeah but now, not, like, not like i said your drives on sql servers well yeah yeah so like i said you can actually you can actually um uh silence those through through a, i'll say a non-ui based method today okay don't worry we'll schedule something later in the week okay <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> goals do this week, Adam. We'll see. So, <laughs> okay, next week. He's busy this week. He's got stuff to do. <laughs> well, all right. Um, I am out of questions. So, Tony, unless you have anything else that you want to add, while while you've got two extraordinarily knowledgeable people at your disposal, I did have a real quick one. It's not not anything critical. I'm just curious. There was some really good. Um, future-looking statements that were delivered by Duncan Epping at VMON in Chicago this last year. And uh, one of them I thought was really interesting. It could really come in handy. Um, something that, you know, your traditional SAN has had, uh, that vSAN up to now has not had, and maybe this is already delivered by now, but the hardware visibility. So the fact that you can physically uh, light a LED on an individual drive, you can see a, a 
graphical representation of your physical server, and then you can have controls within the vSphere console, vSAN console for that. Is that something that is here or is still coming, is still being worked on? What's the status on that? <laughs> so I think that we have some vendors that that uh, support that today. Okay. I'm not going to say that it's every vendor. Um, I know who your vendors are, so I'm, I'm going to say I don't believe it's your vendor. No, of course. That goes. <laughs> <laughs> some vendors do that. Um, you know, and, and you know, if, if, if a vendor looks at that as, as value they want to provide, they may want to, you know, they, they may decide to add that, right? So okay. just as an example, right? You know, Pete mentioned a bit earlier, uh, earlier in the podcast about uh, VUM integration. We have a, a fair amount of VUM, in, VUM integration today, but we don't have VUM integration across every vSAN provider. And part of that is because we do work with them individually, and it could be could be that some that you may not have access to today may show up in two months or six months or whatever, whatever is important with their timeline as far mm-hmm. as that goes. Um, I think as far as actually showing a chassis and then um, you know drives in that specific chassis, that kind of stuff, I think that they do some of that in rail today. Um, okay. It may have that visibility with like some of the Dell open managed stuff or possibly the HPE uh, inside or whatnot, but I don't have any visibility into those specifically. Um, I think as far as the lighting the drives up, uh, it's, it's, I think it has to do, and John could go so much deeper than you or I could, Pete. As bad as oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, it's, it's being able to support an additional API call is what it is, okay. lack of a better thing. But, you know, if, if um, like like something that I wanted to add to my cookbook coming up that I don't quite have in there yet, like I do have the ability to dynamically create uh, disk groups based on the number of cache devices that you have. I basically look at, nice. okay, you've got, let's say, uh, three devices that are SSD and they're under this size. I'm going to consider those cache. And then I'll take, you know, whatever number of capacity drives, I'll divide that by three and that way I have a uniform distribution, Right. So that's one thing I am doing now. However, something I'd like to do at some point, maybe in a 1.1 or 1.2 version of the same uh, document, is actually be able to look at um, um, you know uh, physical addresses, right, of the of the drives. That way, I can you know ensure that I've got the cache device as well as the capacity devices on one controller, and the cache device and you know and that kind of thing, right? Because mm-hmm. I know like in your config, you've got multiple controllers. Right. What if I wanted to be able to designate? You know, so we see all that today and all that's, you know, I don't know if this is a word or not, queryable. I know you can query for it, right, as far as yep. I go. Um, so I don't think it's anything necessarily that, you know, that, that is that hard to do. It's just one of those things where, where are we going to get the most amount of bang and value for our customers and which one are we going to try to tackle first? And sometimes that's our priority. Sometimes it's, a, you know, when it comes to a specific vendor, it's their priority. And it really mm-hmm. is a kind of a delicate balance in working with them have those you know, those type things bubble to the top if you will cool yeah it, mm-hmm. I, I could really see some some good use cases for that especially if you're in a massive data center and you have a vsan disk failure and you've got you know racks and racks and you're trying to narrow it down it's i wonder if it calls back to like an ILO remote management card or if it's i don't it. know but you know I, i've been doing a little bit of a little bit of work lately with some uh some redfish uh over power cli or powershell and i'm trying to do some additional work have it had, hadn't it's not mature enough to the point where i can put it in the cookbook mm-hmm. but uh i'm literally at the point where i can go and i can query ilo drac whatever via redfish and be able to correlate that data um 
you know, I think at some point as redfish kind of matures a bit more, maybe we can go even further with that because redfish isn't really just a PowerShell, but it's just API based, you know, as far as that goes. And any kind of language could uh, could leverage. There's the word leverage. Could use that. I know <laughs> Ken's going to hear me say leverage, and he's going to give me hell about it tomorrow. Because so. <laughs> leverage is not a verb. Not a verb. <laughs> uh, real quick, that uh, website that you had mentioned earlier, I found it. It is inside-the-rails.com. Yep, that's Jeremy's site. Yep. And then for people who want to find your cookbook eventually, Jace, how do we get a hold of that? Uh, it'll be on Storage Hub, okay, .com this week. And then I'll also have a blog post. That'll be an extra blog post, Mr. Arrow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a blog post out you know, that basically will point straight at it and I'll kind of talk about it. And I've got some um, some configuration recipes, some operational recipes, and some reporting recipes in it. And when it goes to configuration, one of the interesting things about vSAN, because vSAN is part of vSphere, some of the stuff is not necessarily just vSAN-centric. You know, like I go into uh, how to create a VM kernel interface on reg uh, a standard switch or a VD switch. Also go through and, and talk about how to dynamically add um, uh, physical, uh, you know, NICs to a VDS. I even talk about how to cool. upgrade. Um, let's say you've got a, a 6.0 vSphere cluster. You upgrade to 6.7. You don't even look at your VDS. You'll probably find that your VDS is still on 6.0. I even go through how to upgrade the VDS. Um, you know, so the cookbook is not 100% vSAN. It's actually got some just vSphere, just vSphere centric stuff in it as well. Cool. It sounds like it's going to be pretty helpful for people out there. I, think, I think I'm at about, uh, I don't know, 75 or 80 pages right now. Wow. Wow. Nice. Good stuff. It's fun. I'm, I'm on Twitter while we're having this conversation, and, and it's really interesting doing a live show because I'm seeing like, like Aaron Kay is on here saying, can't wait to see the cookbook, Jason McCarty. Like, it's live. So that's, <laughs> yeah, cool. you know, like that, that's pretty yeah. cool. We are well, live. Yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic than uh, the way that you do virtually speaking because it's you know, you've always got to edit it and whatnot. Because if you've, if you've been on virtually speaking with Pete, it's like, oh, and we're going to cut that out. Uh, yeah. that was good that was good we'll keep that right you know, uh, oh, cut that out cut that out you know yeah i like the mistakes it makes it feel real that's a bit different it's raw yeah 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 <laughs> unlike here we'll do it live <laughs> that's right <laughs> thanks bill uh, all right well hey unless anybody has anything else to add um i'm i'm good i can play us out and we can as John would say, let's land this plane. I was going to steal that line. Dang it. <laughs> you beat me to it. Do we, want, do we want to ask one more time, though, for anybody who is live watching, if they have any more questions? I mean, we've got a, a few more minutes. Oh, man. So it's a good forum, if you will, right? You can ask that, and I will say, gentlemen, before you do take off, thank you for having us. Uh, it's definitely a, it's an honor to be on your show. I, I'm a big fan of you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing more from you guys. So good stuff. Yeah, the, the, the thanks thanks for being open to join us, Pete. I mean, this yeah. has been great. Um, you know, if you want me to send you the audio file for you to use anything, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. I'll just get it off YouTube. What are you talking about? Oh, there's that too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I'm just going to call it. So if you guys are good, I'll play us out. So hang on a second. Sounds good. And we will kill the stream when I'm done with the close. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it.
once again, this has been GigaCast episode 26 for Sunday, January 27th. This has been an amazing vSAN. Truly, the vSAN is strong with this episode. So, um, thanks again to Mr. Pete Fletcher, Mr. Jason McCarty. Pete is at vPedroero on the Twitters. Jace is at Jace McCarty. I am at VCIXNV. Tony is at Import Car Guy. The show is at VGigacast. And check out Virtually Speaking if you haven't already. Um, if you're listening to this show, you probably already know about it. But definitely check out Virtually Speaking. And we will be back again sometime in February. I don't have a guest fully booked yet, but we're working on it. I'll let you know more about that. Follow us, subscribe, and share. And have a wonderful wonderful February. Go Rams. Go Rams.